Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, we continue our series on Like Jesus. Uh, what is it that we do, kind of the practical steps that we take in our faith so that we can look more like Jesus. A lot of this comes by not just having faith, which means just to have trust or confidence in Jesus, but it's having faith in the way that he tells us to live, like the practical things that we do. When you think of the spiritual disciplines, for example, that we're people of prayer, that we fast, that we're in the word, among other things. Those are the things that actually transform our lives in the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Over the next couple of weeks, both today and next week, we're gonna be following his example on what it means to live in community with each other because that is part of what he created us for. If you look in scripture, the way that it begins, you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and they create. But what that shows you is that there's an, an, a relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. They're inherently relational. And then scripture says we're created in their image. And one of the ways that means that we're created is, is we're relational as well. We need each other. That's another way of saying it. We need each other, isn't that true? There's a New Testament scholar named Jerry Bershears and he said, God is a family who builds a family. And that's what we are. That's, that's who we are as a church. We're a, we're a family with each other. So I was getting into some research this week and looking, why do people join gangs? Now you may be wondering, why did I ask that question? It's because it's connected to what we're talking about today. The studies have actually proven why people do join gangs. There are a number of reasons, but one of them is, and one of the most prominent is, is it gives them a sense of community, a sense of family, and a sense of belonging. Even if what the family is doing is really horrible, they have a sense of community, they have a sense of family, and they have a sense of belonging. There was a sociologist named uh, John Jalalik. She gave a TED Talk, for those of you that are TED Talk people, and she was looking at why would somebody would join something like a cult. And the reason that she gave is very similar why they would join a gang. They're looking for a sense of purpose in their lives or because they want to belong to a group. Everybody is looking for a place to fit. Everybody's looking for a place to fit. And everybody is looking for a place where they know that they matter. In Genesis, God creates Adam. He sees that he is alone. And then he says what? This isn't good. This isn't good which should kind of be a tip to you to see that you were made for relationships as well. Hopefully good, healthy, godly ones, but you were made for relationships. So being a part of a community, God made us that way. I want you to think about the early church. Have you ever heard somebody say something like this? I just wish we were like the early church. Have you ever heard somebody say something like that? Because I have, and I'm like, well, in some ways you wanna be like the early church, and in other ways, trust me, you don't. If I were to say, hey gang, let's do everything outside right now. Y'all would be like, I don't wanna be like the early church. <laughs> it's hundred degrees out there, man. Have you lost your mind? There's this passage in Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. Uh, listen to the way it describes them. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, which is to one another, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. See, early on, these people were getting snacks with each other, isn't that good? They had the right idea. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as they had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house 
They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. By the way, that's the way I eat too. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to the number of those who were being saved. That's amazing, isn't it? Think of what these people were doing. They're going into the temple. I mean, that's kind of like what we're doing right now. They gather together, they're worshiping. And then what did it say? They went into each other's home. Hey, on Tuesday, we're gonna be in Ed's house. He's doing steak. Count me in. Hey, on Wednesday, we're gonna be in Jim's house. It's gonna be Italian night. Count me in. Thursday, you get the idea? They're doing life together. They're doing life together. It's an amazing picture of what the church is meant to be. But they weren't just eating together. They were praying for each other. They were praying over each other. You see in Acts chapter two, such kindness that is following from the hearts of people that they saw people that had need. They took some of their own possessions. Did you catch this? They took some of their own possessions and sold it and then took the money from those things. It's like, you know what, we're not really using. Here you go. And then they took the money to help those as they had need. This is the kind of stuff that the early church was doing. Who's in favor of that for the church? I am. And they saw wondrous things because that's what the church looked like. The people around them were like, what is going on? These people are amazing. And I got, I agree. They're absolutely amazing. But did you know that before we get too fired up about it, even the early church had their problems? Did you know that? I love it when you look in scripture in Acts 13, 13, same book, just a few chapters later from what we just read. It says, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. Well, that didn't last long, did it? I mean, you may be wondering what's happening in Acts chapter 13. They're on a missionary journey. You have Paul and Barnabas, and those are like two of the rock stars of the early church, right? So imagine, imagine that you get picked to go and travel with these guys. How do you think you would feel? That'd be pretty amazing, right? Uh, I mean, two of the rock stars have said that I can come and be a part of what they're doing. Now, some New Testament scholars look at Mark, John Mark, and they say, you know, he might've come from a little bit of a privileged upbringing, a little bit more wealth there. And he's like, man, life is amazing. And I get to go be with these guys. It's awesome. And then they go on the missionary journey. They go into the first city and John Mark goes, man, this is rough. I'm out, which is exactly what he did. Notice what it says, he returned back. He left him. Now, how, what type of flavor do you think that would put in the mouth of, I don't know, Paul? You happy with him? Or are you upset with him? The answer is upset. Just helping you out. Obviously, Paul was upset because he walks off, he abandons them. Didn't go so well. Um, but look at this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 as well. Just another example. It says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So here you have Paul writing his last letter. He knows that he's looking death in the face. Uh, he's reaching out to some people saying, I hope that you would come and see me because the end is near to me. But here you are in 2 Timothy chapter 10, and he's actually calling people out by name. Demas has deserted me. Wouldn't you hate to be the guy that's left in the Bible to be known like that? Here we are thousands of years later and we know you by name. But it wasn't always like that because in Colossians 4.14, he says, Luke, the beloved physician greets you as does Demas. See, it seems that Demas started like really well. He just didn't finish strong. He just didn't finish strong. 
Now, at least what we see in 2 Timothy 4, he's forsaken Paul. And I'm just going to tell you this, being forsaken or betrayed, that's tough. That's tough. And especially when you're in the situation that Paul's in and nobody's around him to encourage him or support him. The church was meant to be different. See, in 2 Timothy 4.11, when he says only Luke is with me, where did everybody else go? Times got difficult and everybody else abandons the building. See, here's the thing. We need each other, don't we? Is that fair? We need each other. And the kind of connection that's envisioned by Jesus for his church, I'm just gonna say this up front, does not happen online. It does not happen online. Now, look, we're live streaming this service right now. And that's a good thing because there are a lot of people that physically can't be here. We have people that are shut-ins that are a part of our church. And this is a way that they can still be a part of the worship that we do here. That is a good thing. We have people at home right now with the Rona. And you know what? Don't be bringing that mess in here. <laughs> I don't want your germs. Stay home. However, when it comes to what Jesus meant for his church in the everyday, it was for us to be with each other. That is what he meant. You cannot live the Christian life separated from the church. It doesn't work like that. You might believe it, but don't blame it on Jesus. He's teaching something that is different. He means it to be something like what you find in the Lord of the Rings. Anybody out there a Lord of the Rings fan? I love this story. In the Lord of the Rings, the return of the king, the final chapter closes out. Frodo Baggins and he's got his good buddy, Samwise Gamgee. Cool names. And they're taking the, the ring to Mordor, also a great name, because they need to throw it in the fires of Mount Doom. Can you feel the drama? So they're on this long journey and Frodo and Sam, they've entered Mordor and they're making the trek. They're getting to the top of Mount Doom. They're tired and they're, be they're just beat. They're beat. And Frodo gets to the point where he says, I just can't anymore. I'm done. And Sam tries to comfort him by telling him about the Shire, about home. He says, you remember the green grass. You remember the food. It's kind of always about the food at the end of the day, right? But it, you remember the eating of second breakfast and whatnot, right? That said, it doesn't work because with Frodo, he still so feels the weight of the moment that he is in. He just says, I, but I can't, I can't. And that's when Samwise has the plan. He says, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. And he literally picks him up and throws him over his shoulder and starts to climb the mountain with him on his back. That is a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be like. You can't get more like Jesus than that. You can't. And you cannot do it if you are disconnected. It won't work. You physically, literally physically have to be present for this to happen. I love this in 2 Corinthians 1, 4. Paul said, he comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in all kinds of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We got it first, we shared it with others. It was from him. See, when you look at this word for comfort, it means to come along somebody. It means to help them. It means to strengthen them. It means to make them brave. And when you look at what Paul is saying here is, they're not in the place where they are there yet. You help them to get there. It's usually, by the way, this, this idea of comforting and strengthening, it's usually in connection with the Holy Spirit. He's called the helper. It's also the paraclete. This means you get strength from someone that is not you. 
You don't have it. When we find that somebody in our church has cancer, do you know what I can't do? I can't take the cancer for them. It doesn't work like that. But we can carry them while they have cancer. You see what I'm saying? And it's the same for any number of other struggles that people would have. We get a strength from someone that is not us. The word for comfort in the passage, it's said side by side with another word, affliction. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I don't think that I've ever been in a room where I walk in and say, hey, how many of you like a good heap and dose of pain? And everybody's like, me? I don't think I've ever seen that. I've never seen that. However, Jesus says, in this world, you will have what? Trouble, which means when you wake up on a Monday morning, you at least have to be open to the possibility something might go wrong. Something might go wrong. And what Paul was saying in this passage is comfort is needed because afflictions and problems are real. They are real. Here's what he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 1, 5, and 6. He says, just as the sufferings of Christ overflowed us, just like that, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. It's not just that the afflictions overflow, the comfort overflows. So if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. I'm just gonna be honest with you, friends. Any church that you go into is a mixed bag. Is that fair? Just like the early church. When somebody says, I just wish we were like the early church. We love to quote the Acts 2 part where they're praying, they're eating, they're taking care of each other, but you gotta keep reading because you have Paul and Peter, they fight with each other. John Mark abandons Paul. It's a mess. Any church that you walk into, friends, it's gonna be a mess. It is gonna be a mess. It is not going to be perfect. And I think every member of this church would say, and I've made my contribution to the mess at some time. Is that fair? I have made my contribution to the mess. There's just more to the story. So we don't, we don't come to be a part of the Woodridge family because when we come to be a part of the family, we go, you know what? We're getting perfect. No, you're not, but you are getting a family. You are getting that. And the hope and the goal of being a part of this is we honor Jesus, it's what we want, and we take great care of each other, just like we see in these passages. A main way that God comforts is bringing people into your life, biblically, scripturally. It's the people that he brings into your life. Uh, think of it like this. God takes the circumstances of your life, and this is what Paul was saying. He takes the circumstances of your life, he uses them to shape you so that you can then be a blessing to someone else who's going through a difficult time and they need you. You can look them in the eye and say, I have been there. I have been there. And there is another side of this. And I'm here to give you strength so that you can persist. Let's get to the other side. Years ago, my pulmonologist, Dr. Green, I, I loved Dr. Green. Um, and I say to this day, I don't, I don't know that I would be here if it weren't for Dr. Green. He made me better. He did. But I remember he was getting to the kind of, the, a little bit kind of toward the end of his career. I'm pushing into that point of life where I'm making life decisions on what I'm gonna be, right? And I remember sitting in his office, I'm a student at A&M. You know, he said, what are you gonna do with your life? And I said, well, you know, and then he cut me off and he said, I actually would like for you to go into medicine. And I said, well, why? And he said, because you get it. 
Like you get it, you have suffered. And so it's one thing to be able to do something with the body and to help somebody with, the bo- with their body. He said, but when you walk in, you're gonna be able to look at someone and say, I've been there. You're gonna handle yourself differently because you've been there, you get it. He said, so I'd like for you to consider that. I'm here with you good people though, so there, you got the answer, right? But you get his point, you get his point? This is exactly what Paul was trying to, to say. You can relate to them, and because you can relate to them, you can be a comfort to them. I have been there, and there's the other side of what you're going through. The other thing that Paul says is he comforts them because he has comforted you. Christ has comforted you. Consider this, I love this passage in 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 to 18. It says, David was afraid because Saul had come out to seek his life. Well, that's fair. (laughs) I mean, I would probably feel the same way. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh. And I love this. If you underline things in your Bible, underline this. It says, and strengthened his hand in God. He strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, fear not. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. That's tough. Imagine being Jonathan, and you know that your dad has put a hit out on your best buddy, and now you're standing with your best buddy, strengthening his hand in the Lord, but also making promises. Did you catch that? What do you think Thanksgiving was like when Jonathan went to be with dad? You think it's just a little bit weird? I mean, I would think so. David was strong, but he still needed Jonathan. He still needed Jonathan. And if you look at what Jonathan was willing to do, when it says he he arose and he went to Horesh, that was like a 30 mile trip. He didn't cross the street. He also didn't get in a Tesla. Those didn't exist back then. He got up. And he walked 30 miles one way so that he could strengthen him in the Lord. Everybody deserves and needs a Jonathan. Isn't that true? Everybody deserves and needs a Jonathan and to receive the blessings from the Jonathan. All right, I'm gonna be honest with you for just a second. The way that I am naturally cut, I'm a giver. I'm a giver. Um, I try to take good care of my wife. I try to take good care of my four girls. I mean, I will give and I will give and I will give. Do you know what I'm not good at? Receiving. Who said amen? I mean, I was, come on, let me say it. No, it's, it's true. It's true, I'm, I'm not. But, but when, I peel, when I peel that back a little bit, because I've had to learn this over the years, there are a couple of things there. One is there is a pride behind that that doesn't honor God. It's true. There's a pride behind it that doesn't honor God. And once I learned that some years ago, um, it changed everything. And I I think of some things that my family has gone through over these last couple of years. It's been an incredibly challenging time on a number of levels. You know, and when you're going down to MD Anderson so that your, your child is being tested and you're just sitting there going, I wish that it wasn't her. I just wish it was me. I just wish it was me. That, that is what a, a father would wanna do for their kid. But at every single turn, when we were going to the hospital or we were coming back from the hospital, how many people would either show up here to say, I'm here to pray over you? 
changed everything. It changed everything. And when you see that, you get a picture, just like a, just a little bit of a snapshot where Jesus is saying, this is why I built the church. This is it. I love this in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. When we see great things happen for our people in this church, we celebrate. That just happened to family. And when we see that there is pain and there is suffering and there is hardship, we grieve with each other because they're family. You get the highs of the highs and you get the lows of the lows. Why? Because this is what happens when you really love people. There is a cost to it. I will take the plus, but I know on the other side, there's some negative to it because we're gonna hurt because life's a mess. We're a mess, but we have Jesus. We have each other. He's comforted us, we comfort each other. That is as much like Jesus as a church can possibly get. Do you agree with me? I love this quote from Henry Nguyen. He wrote a book called The Wounded Healer. Kind of the question about it was, he goes, what do you do when like the people that are leading, they're supposed to be the ones that heal, they're the ones that are messed up and broken? That's a good question. But here's one of the quotes from his book. He said, who can save a child from a burning house without taking the risk of being hurt by the flames? Who can listen to a story of loneliness and despair without taking the risk of experiencing similar pains in his own heart and even losing precious peace of mind? In short, who can take away suffering without entering it? And the answer is, you can't. You can't. So church, the challenge for us to be like Jesus, the challenge for us this morning is actually pretty simple is that we do this, is that we do this with and for each other. That's about as Jesus-like as we can get. We would be willing to enter the suffering of another person so that they can come on the other side of it. Maybe you've come here this morning and you have never given your life to Jesus. I want you to understand why it is that we love him the way that we do. And as I was trying to kind of wrap my head around it, what I came up with is this, is that in spite of the mess that we've made of things, and we've certainly made our mess of things, we're valuable. We're valuable to him. The way that scripture describes it, we are a people for his possession. Isn't that a beautiful picture? In spite of the mess, you are a people for his possession. So that got me thinking about value. Uh, value depends on what someone is willing to pay for something. So if you think about a house, a car, a piece of art, a baseball card, you pick it. It's only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Um, back in 2017, there was a work of art called Salvador Mundi. It was done by, they think, Leonardo da Vinci and it sold for $450.3 million. My friends, that's a lot of cash. Somebody said it's worth it. It's worth it. The other thing is value depends on who has owned the item in the past. Uh, it, there were relatively recent auctions of things from uh, the Kennedy family and Princess Diana. Uh, Princess Diana, by the way, three dresses of hers went for about 350 grand. That's a pretty good day. Her favorite sweatshirt, just so you know, went for $60,000. There was a dress that she wore to the White House um, when she had, by the way, danced with John Travolta. We're just doing trivia right now. Danced with John Travolta. 
Somebody bought that dress for $250,000. That's not bad, is it? Jacqueline Kennedy, there was one estate sale that drew $35 million. That's a lot of money. And I give you these examples to make a simple point. Value depends on what someone is willing to pay for something. Jesus was willing to pay the cross. That is how much value you have to him. It's not a matter of does he love you. It is and always will be a matter of will you receive the love that he's already shown to you. That's your choice. I can't make you accept that, but the choice is yours. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.